Stay golden. Hurricane. Hello and welcome back to the Golden Hurricanes, a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane athletics at the University of Tulsa. I'm Matt Rectine, and this is going to be a solo episode this week, uh, so bear with me as I try to do something that I think Ryan is probably a little bit better than I am at. Uh, Ryan, unfortunately, uh, is battling. First, it was a bout of COVID, and now it is the flu, so hope he's feeling better soon uh, and ready for our episode next week. But that means it's just me. Uh, and I'm going to do my best to try and recap the last, oh man, it's probably been, feels like it's been four weeks now since our last episode right before Christmas. Uh, a lot has happened. Unfortunately uh, for basketball, both the men and the women's side, it has not been all great. Uh, you know, a couple wins there early on in that four-week break, uh, but the last week, week and a half has been very different. Um but before we get into the basketball, kind of just have some weekly news follow-up, kind of talk a little bit of football, a little bit of random news uh, around the university. So first thing that I kind of wanted to talk about was just kind of Tulsa-adjacent news. Um, not, these are things that are not really, you know, part or they don't really, they're not actually Tulsa news points, but I thought they were kind of interesting because uh, last time we kind of talked, you know, was interested in if Matt Guerrero was going to be sticking around at Indiana. Indiana had obviously uh, decided to part ways with their head coach. Uh, and in, in that time, he uh, was announced that he wasn't going to be coming back. Uh, he was not retained by Indiana. But not surprisingly, he was announced as the safeties coach at, at Ohio State. Um you know, kind of makes sense. I feel like a lot of those Ohio State guys are kind of connected. You know, we've obviously seen that with Kevin Wilson, uh, who initially tried to bring him in. So just thought that was interesting. Uh, and the other news, uh, maybe a little bit more close to home, is Philip Montgomery out as the offensive coordinator at the University of Auburn after one year. Uh, Auburn, you know, did not really have as good as a season, as good of a season as maybe they were expecting, uh, including, you know, a loss to uh, New Mexico State kind of right towards the end of the not even not even a good loss. Well, I don't think anything would be considered a good loss in Auburn's eyes if you're losing to New Mexico State, but like not a close loss. They got blown out uh, by New Mexico State, you know, by 31 to 10. Uh, and then blown out by Maryland in their bowl game as well. So Philip Montgomery out as the OC. Not really sure what's going to be next for him. Um, but, you know, it's kind of it's a bummer. Definitely wanted to see him succeed uh, wherever he went. Love Philip Montgomery. He's a great guy. Um, you know, it just didn't really work for for us. And But, you know, wanted to see him succeed wherever. And so I kind of hope, you know, he gets another shot somewhere, maybe a smaller program. Um but, you know, we'll see. Maybe even closer to our hearts, especially on this podcast, I'm sure Ryan would agree with me, uh, our first guest that we ever had in season one, Dane Evans. Dane Evans announced that he was retiring from playing football. Um, Dane has been playing in the Canadian Football League for the last couple of years. Um, 
you know, obviously had some great success at Hamilton, uh, the Tiger Cats, and this past year uh, played for British Col- the BC British Columbia Lions. Um, but yeah, so he announces he's retiring from playing football. But you know, in his press release, press announcement, uh, you know, he did mention that he's looking into what he's going to do next. And I think a lot of people are probably expecting that that is going to be coaching. You know, that maybe that's not anytime soon, but I have to imagine, you know, if he's not coaching in the next five years, that would blow my mind. Uh, I kind of imagine he's going to go back to Texas. You know, he's a Texas guy, and I feel like a lot of uh, Texas players, you know, they get their start in Texas. So I'm just saying, you know, we have seen one previous Tulsa quarterback have really strong success this past year at the head coaching position. Uh, So maybe Dane Evans is going to be the next one. And, you know, if that happens, I really hope it's the head coach at Tulsa, you know, 10 years down the road. I think that'd be really fun, uh, kind of bring it full circle. So, you know, maybe just a a fun little thing uh, to look forward to in the next decade or so of Tulsa football. Uh, And then one thing, Ryan wanted me to mention this uh, because he's very intrigued. This is no longer football news. It's mostly just university news. But we are trying to figure out what the deal is with this mustachioed mascot uh, that's kind of been showing up. It originally showed up on a Skull Sparks tweet. Uh, Skull Sparks is, I don't know, just like a sports marketing uh, digital kind of thing. And so it kind of looks like Herc, except angry and with a mustache. Uh, You know, so already... Very intrigued, f- trying to figure out what's going on. And then it showed up in a second tweet uh, yesterday on the game day tweet before the Charlotte game. And so, you know, by itself, interesting. But then you get Brad Carson uh, with his cryptic tweet. Um, maybe cryptic isn't the right word. Um, but he said, secrets. Remember, like flies to wanton boys, so are mascots to me. So Brad Carson is definitely cooking something up here. Um, very curious to see what it is. And I don't know, it just feels like the mascots this year. I mean, they've just been kind of doing a lot of fun stuff. And so it's cool. It's, it's definitely, you know, refreshing to see maybe some more fun in the mascot and all the kind of like signage or digital stuff and less stiff. And I, I, you know, I think that's just more fun. It's more engaging. So I love the direction that it's going. Uh, and definitely am excited to see this mustachioed friend. Um, is it Herc with a mustache? Is it a friend for Herc? You know, these are the questions that we're going to have to find out in the next couple weeks. Okay, and then pivoting back to football. So it has obviously been a long time since our last episode. I am just going to preface this with I am not going to be able to recount every single portal or signing news like thing that has happened in the last month. Um, but I'm going to hit the some of, the some of the top ones and just kind of mention some guys that are coming in, some losses that we unfortunately took, uh, as well as one conspiracy theory. But we'll get to that uh, in just a minute. So portal signing. We had first up Gavin Potter. Gavin Potter is a linebacker. He played at KU and at Arkansas State. I believe this is like his sixth year. He played four entire years at Kansas. Then 
what I thought would have been a grad transfer to Arkansas State. But presumably, he's got an extra year of eligibility because of COVID, as everybody kind of does. And so he is coming to play at Tulsa. Uh, this is a homecoming for him because he was played at Broken Arrow, uh, where he actually led Broken Arrow to a state title in 2018. Uh, Broken Arrow, I believe, went 13-0 and that season. So I think that's a big pickup. You know, we obviously lost some linebacker depth to the transfer portal and to graduation this year. And so getting some more of that position group, I mean, huge win. Uh, next, another returning home, kind of, uh, if you consider Beggs as close enough to Tulsa, um, which, you know, I'll, I'll say it is. It's pretty, I'm looking at a map right now just to confirm. Like, it's not technically Tulsa metro area. Uh, I can't even tell if it's Tulsa County. Um, but yeah, obviously, Tulsa is the closest big city. So, uh, and that's Kate Stanton. He is an offensive lineman uh, transferring from New Mexico State. So he's already, you know, beaten previous head coach, Philip Montgomery. Uh, so, yeah, just exciting to, I think, see a lot of these guys come back to Oklahoma. And, you know, maybe we missed out on them the first time around, or maybe they decided to go elsewhere. Love to see him come home. Uh, next one, intriguing, because uh, it is a intra-state transfer. Carson Horton, who was a preferred walk-on at the University of Oklahoma, uh, he's a quarterback, and he is transferring to Tulsa. Now, this is interesting because Ryan and I have previ previously talked about, you know, in past episodes, that Kevin Wilson is, or was maybe, looking to get another quarterback from the portal. You know, obviously, we've got, uh, you know, our two quarterbacks, Kirk Francis and Cardell Williams, um, as our two guys, but, you know, he wanted that third one. And so the question is, is Carson Horton going to be that third quarterback, or is this just another quarterback for depth? Uh, I think right now what I've seen is that Carson Horton is a walk-on here as well. Not really sure if that's, con you know, confirmed or not. But just kind of kind of curious if we'll see any other quarterback news. Uh, it's been kind of interesting. You've seen some big names go to smaller group of five schools from big programs recently. Like USC's backup quarterback ended up uh, signing with Boise State. Now, obviously, Boise State is maybe a higher pedigree of school in the group of five. But still pretty cool to see some of those group of five quarterbacks decide and he was never even a starter like he was back up to Caleb Williams and then decided to transfer out after Williams graduated so just kind of cool to see uh not sure we'll get a situation like that but you know one can always hope and dream uh and then last but not least we've got Troop O'Neill Troop O'Neill is a place kicker uh from Texas uh, I believe he played soccer and football uh, and this is a big one because Chase Meyer got, got an opportunity to play at a big level, uh, went back to Pennsylvania, but this time went to Penn State, which is, I mean, can't fault him for that. That's a really cool opportunity. Hope he does well. Bummer to have only gotten him for a year, but, you know, the year we had him, at least he was really good for us. So now we've got Troop O'Neill, um, you know, just definitely needed a kicker and from clips that I've seen on Twitter, 
he looks solid. I think he pr- had some sort of leg injury in the last couple of years, but it's kind of just been cool. I don't know. I was just on his Twitter whenever he announced uh, to see him rehab and kind of get back into, you know, kicking strength uh, and all that. It's just, you know, exciting. So cool for that. Uh, and then two transfer, not into Tulsa, but out of Tulsa points to kind of talk about. And these are one of these is old. One of these is new. But obviously we had Braylon Braxton. We talked about last episode, you know, four weeks ago that he had finally put his name in the portal and was pretty quick to get a couple of offers from schools like North Texas, from Marshall uh, and things like that. Well, he ended up signing at Marshall. Uh, And then shortly thereafter, Carl Chester also announced that he was going to be transferring to Marshall. So we will not get to face them as conference opponents. Um, But again, I mean, I will always make this point. I hope that they find success, you know, got no hard feelings or ever for guys that are going to transfer like this, especially, you know, Braylon's situation. He decided to come back and that was a huge deal to kind of come back after the coach that recruited him was fired. Uh, Kevin Wilson was able to convince him. And, you know, he had the opportunity to be that guy this year. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. Um, you know, so I hope that he has a chance to be the guy at Marshall. I think that would be really cool. And the final uh, transfer news, and this is kind of where my conspiracy that I referenced earlier is going to maybe show itself, is A.J. Green, the former running back at the University of Arkansas, had announced that he was committing to Tulsa on signing day. This was huge. I talked about it. He was probably the name that I was most excited about because we've obviously had some really successful guys come from the SEC to play running back here. Daneric Prince came from Texas A&M. Anthony Watkins from Mizzou. Um, And so I was like, all right, A.J. Green, next guy, Arkansas. Let's keep up the streak and have, you know, an awesome season. Well, he then decommitted not, you know, like shortly thereafter, uh, and then announced that he was going to Oklahoma State University, which I find very weird because he had a chance to come to TU and be the guy for us. Uh, You know, we had graduations at the running back position. You know, Anthony Watkins isn't coming back. Um, And so, there, you know, there there was definitely a void. But instead of doing that, he decided to go to Oklahoma State, who has maybe the top running back in the country, um, I would argue that he is. I'm, sh- you know, you can make some cases for Blake Corum um, or some some other names, but I mean, Ollie Gordon is not a guy that AJ Green is going to pass in the depth chart, and so you know, just kind of a weird decision. Um, maybe it's just Oklahoma State name carries bigger weight, uh, especially since he is a local guy, went to Union. So what I really think, um, what I will be pushing until this game happens, is that Oklahoma State did not want to face A.J. Green. As a result, Oklahoma State decided to use NIL money to pull him, get him to decommit from TU, and decided and to pull him to OSU. You know, as a result, maybe he doesn't play at OSU that all that much, but OSU then doesn't have to play him when they come into town in September. So that's the line that I'm going to be pushing, uh, and I definitely 
don't think it's that much of a stretch, you know, if I'm being honest. So, all right, that is it for football and random other news. Well, I guess the only random news was really the mustachioed tweet. Uh, maybe I fit that in at the wrong spot. Oh, well. Next, you know, the, the big heart and soul of this episode is going to be basketball. Um, again, you know, there have been a lot of games that have happened since our last episode. The men's team had five and the women's team had five as well, four. They had four games since our last episode. So, you know, I'm going to go through some of them. I'm not going to talk a ton about, you know, like maybe some of the early games that happened right before Christmas. Uh, and, you know, focus more so on the conference play. Because I think that's kind of the more interesting, the more recent things that we're actually going to want to talk about, uh, as well as, you know, the more important part of our season, really. So we'll start with the men's. The men's team, 9-6 and six overall. We're currently sitting at 181 in Ken Palm. Uh, this is an improvement from where we were at our last episode, which was before the New Mexico State game. At that point, we were ranked 187 uh, and kind of, you know, trending down, which is which was awesome. Dropped to 180 after the Southwestern Oklahoma game. And then even after the loss to Memphis, you know, there's no such thing as good losses, theoretically, but it was a good loss for us because we improved five points in Ken Palm. Uh, ended up at 175, which is actually where we have peaked this season. Unfortunately, we followed that up with the loss at East Carolina and at Charlotte uh, and currently sit at 181. Uh, as far as the other rankings, we are 196 in the net, 171 in Massey, and 164 in Torvik. Uh, peaks for those as well. Start before the Memphis game, 159 in the Massey, and 145 in the Torvik before conference play. So, yeah, so I mentioned that, you know, the men's team played five games in the last month. Um so I'm just going to quickly go through just the scores, games that happened, what, what the score was, and then we'll kind of walk through each one um, after that. So end of December, finished the year off with wins over New Mexico State, as well as Swasu or Southwestern Oklahoma State University. Uh, coming into the new year and starting conference play, we hosted Memphis, lost that one really close, and then one on the road back-to-back against East Carolina and Charlotte. Uh, unfortunately, both of those were losses as well. Um, so, yeah, so circling back to those New Mexico State win and the Swasu win, you know, I don't want to spend a ton of time kind of talking about those games. Just, I mean, they were so long ago at this point. You know, New Mexico State win maybe a little bit closer than we were kind of hoping for. I mean, they weren't the easiest team on our non-conference schedule, but they definitely weren't our hardest. So. You know, kind of, you know, the, the sense that I got from that game is that our team was kind of starting to get maybe bored of the competition and was ready for some stronger play. Um, but yeah, just, you know, a good, a good win there. Uh, and then as far as Swasu, I mean, that was a 95 to 54 blowout. Saw a lot of play from the young guys. Matt Reed got some time. Ari Seals got some time, um, you know. Lots of minutes for everybody. I mean, honestly, looking at this, Ken Palm, the only guy who got under 10 minutes but still got to come in 
Ben Radford with three minutes. Uh, and he had a three-pointer, which was awesome. But, I mean, we saw significant minutes for everybody, which is, you know, exactly the point of this game is just to kind of use it as a a good way to finish that momentum, get ready for the rest of the season. Which brings us, obviously, into conference play. Tulsa started off their conference schedule uh, hosting one of the probably two contenders, although I kind of feel like Memphis might be slightly fraudulent. Um, But yeah, hosted the Penny Hardaway Memphis Tigers. Um, You know, tough game to start the season. Memphis was 49 in Ken Palm at the time. Not true. Memphis was 36 in Ken Palm at the time. They're 49 currently, which is kind of why I say that I think they might be a little fraudulent because they have won three games in a row, yet have gone from 36 to 49 in Ken Palm. That's kind of weird. I don't know why a good team would do that. Um, but yeah, tough game to start off conference play, and it kind of looks like it. You know, in the first half of this game, it very much looked different from the non-conference schedule. Uh, I won't, you know, Memphis kind of started off at a blistering pace, uh, put up 49 points in the first half, uh, shot 64% overall, 55 from behind the arc, and was just getting to the line and sinking almost all of their free throws. You know, we just kind of looked like we couldn't keep up with the pace and the experience of this Memphis team. Um, Fortunately for us, and what made this game even more exciting, is that apparently we're a second-half team. And so, you know, what was really impressive on this game is just the fight that this team had to get back into it. I mean, we had a chance to win this. It was tied, 75-75, before Memphis made, you know, frankly, an incredible shot uh, to win, which I hate. I hate. That always reminds me of the 2018 AAC tournament, listening to that game as Memphis just ran down the court and sank a three as time expired. Um, hate that, you know, anytime we lose, especially to Memphis, that's what I'm reminded of. But, you know, this team showed a lot of fight, um, cleaned up the turnovers to an extent. You look at, you know, points off of turnovers in the first half versus the second half. Memphis had 13 points off of our turnovers in the first, only three in the second. Tulsa took advantage a lot more of the turnovers that Memphis had in the second half. Um, You know, overall, Memphis, 21 turnovers. We only had to 15. So we played a strong game, a strong defensive game in the second half. And Memphis, you know, came back to earth, shooting only 38% overall, one for 11 from the three point for 9%. Whereas, you know, we shot up to 47% shooting as well as, 43% 43% from behind the arc. Um, but what's, what's really killing us, I think, and this kind of started with the Memphis game, is you know we're not getting to the line as much as we were in non-conference play. Uh, and so this is you know kind of starts with Memphis, but is kind of a trend that you'll kind of notice um, in these last three games. And so Memphis got to the line 21 times, made 18 of them. We only got to the line 15 times, only made nine of them. 60%, I mean, that's not going to cut it when you're at the line. And so, you know, it just looked really bad. But, 
you know, what were the what were the maybe specific highlights of this game? Well, obviously, I mean, you can't talk about this without talking about PJ Haggerty. PJ Haggerty is just frankly blown me away and just how talented he is. He's our leading scorer. Uh, and he he looks the part in literally every game that we've played. PJ Haggerty has just looked like the best player on the court. Um, you know, at least for Tulsa. Although for the Memphis game, Ken Palm gave PJ Haggerty the MVP of the game. So, you know, when you're the MVP on the losing team, that's pretty impressive. And so I, you know, people are going to talk about like, oh, you know, we've got to be worried about him potentially transferring or things like that. But, you know, he already did transfer. And I don't know the rules, you know, 100%, but I don't think you can get another free transfer, at least not currently. Um, And at the same time, you know, he seems like a guy who is enjoying where he's at. Things obviously may change, but, you know, that is a concern for April, May, after the season. I just want to watch P.J. Haggerty play ball because, my God, it is so much fun uh, to watch. So, you know, I'm not even going to worry about Memphis fans chirping on Twitter um, about how P.J. Haggerty is going to be a future Memphis Tiger. You know, that's just, I I, I hate Memphis Twitter. Uh, that's really the main thing that I took from this game is how obnoxious Memphis Twitter really is. Um, and the other thing that was really cool for this Memphis game was the crowd. You know, I was at this game and it seems like the first time in a couple of years where it's just been a truly awesome fan experience. The only one that kind of comes close is the uh, fan appreciation slash senior day game against UCF a couple of years back uh, where Jariah Horn made that buzzer beater to beat UCF in the final game of the season. Like that one was pretty awesome, but this was just different level. Yeah, especially when we put like 17 points up in the span of seven minutes. I mean, it was just an awesome environment, uh, you know, and I really hope to see that again. Um, And I kind of hope we will as the season goes. I mean, home games are where this team plays better. And so we'd love to see more of it. Uh, Some of the things that, you know, didn't like to see in this game, uh, getting killed in the transition game. Memphis absolutely destroyed us. Um you know, on fast break, fast break points, uh, 24 to nine, you know, most of those again in the first half when they were just absolutely looked like a juggernaut, um, you know, but they were still there in the second half to a lesser degree. The other thing is points in the paint. Uh, you know, Memphis kind of just beat us up down there. Obviously, you know, they're a little bit bigger than us. They're more experienced. 40 points to our 22 that I think that just kind of shows, you know, through there. So, uh, other things, you know, that you didn't like is turnovers in the first half, uh, first half turnovers. Again, I already kind of mentioned it when I talked points off of turnovers, but you know, that's something that they just don't go away. You know, this wasn't as bad as the Oklahoma state game, because um, we had 15 and they had 21 and, you know, they had more field goals made than turnovers. Um, but, you know, there were a lot of turnovers by both teams. And part of that is this was an incredibly fast game. Uh, Memphis is probably, I think they are number 22 in the country in terms of tempo. 
Uh, and we like to go fast, and that's just causing lots of turnover. Last thing about this game that I kind of want to talk about is just the unfortunate injury to Caleb Mills. Um, you know, looking at it, it really just looks like his knee just, he stepped on it weird and it just gave out. Uh, a freak injury and it just sucks. I mean, he's a really fun guy to watch. Been in the been in the conference, um, you know, back when he played for Houston back in 2019 through 21, left for Florida State, came back for Memphis. And so to see that just kind of sucks. But, you know, that's the other, like, why leads into, like, why I hate Memphis Twitter. Um, Memphis Twitter, I feel like their favorite thing is just to call other schools poverty programs uh, because they were just talking about how Tulsa's court, Tulsa's floor, Tulsa's managers, uh, all these things led to the injury and that there was a wet spot, obviously. And then only for the game to end, Penny Hardaway to come out and say, there was not a wet spot, you know, and as a Tulsa fan and being at these games, we absolutely have people wiping the floor down. So it's not like we would have just missed a wet spot. So to just have that and just have, God, just, I don't know, man. They remind me of UConn fans, some UCF fans. It's just, I just cannot stand them. Uh, so I kind of hope Memphis loses sometime soon. I talked about, I think they're fraudulent. You know, their last three games that they've played have all been incredibly close. They beat us by three on the road. Then they went and hosted SMU one by three. SMU is a pretty good team. SMU is 46 in Ken Palm at the moment. But then maybe surprisingly worst team in the conference this season, UTSA, takes them to overtime. Memphis ends up winning 107 to 101, which is an incredibly high scoring game. But for UTSA of all schools to take them to overtime, I, you know, I feel like Memphis is just going to stumble here at some point. Um, You know, like we've seen from FAU, FAU kind of came in with a lot of high expectations for this season. uh, And unfortunately, you know, has not really had... I don't, it's hard to say, unfortunately, because they're 12 and four, you know, but their losses to Bryant, Florida, Gulf Coast, Charlotte, you know, those are not great losses and they barely beat Tulane tonight. So not coming in as maybe the dominant team that they were last season. So I hope Memphis has the same fate. All right, moving on from that game to East Carolina. Uh, Ouch. First thing that I will say. You know, this was not the type of game that you want to have after the Memphis game, but maybe it makes sense because of the emotional charge of the Memphis game. We lost to East Carolina 57 to 62 on the road. Um, and it did not look pretty at times. Yeah, we just struggled on offense. We gave up too many second-chance points. Um, East Carolina just beat us on the offensive boards. They put up 20 points on our 19 turnovers, beat us in the paint, beat us in transition. You know, all in all, this kind of just seems like a letdown game from the from the Memphis one. Um, you know, and it's not too surprising, maybe, because... 
this team has looked drastically, drastically different when playing at home versus when we've been playing on the road. Uh, I don't have the metrics right now. I honestly think maybe that's something for next week to just kind of pull all of that specifically. Um, from On Ken Palm, I'm talking speci- um, particularly. But, you know, we just don't look good at all. We can only ever have, like, only three guys per game are ever on on the road. Uh, we just kind of struggle with a lot of our youth struggle with our bench and you know it just showed itself one bright note about this game is that we're kind of maybe seeing Kobe Williams turn a new page uh it you know offensive rating 120 and it finished the game with 18 points led the team five for nine from three point so just like you know started making those shots only three turnovers which you know not great but better than it has been uh and just looked like more of a playmaker than he has through most of this season pj haggerty i mean he's looked as good as he has all season um second on the team in points and maybe surprisingly is none of those points came from the line you know that i've kind of talked about he gets a lot of free throw attempts uh had none against east carolina east carolina finished with 13 fouls um so this is actually kind of a low scoring, a low, not scoring, low fouling game, 13 and 14. You know, maybe not low, but when you're thinking about Charlotte game that came next, uh, definitely, definitely low. So, and then, you know, to round out the top contributors for this game, Isaiah Barnes finished, you know, 12 points, a um, couple rebounds, an assist, a couple turnovers, a block and two steals, no fouls. And so outside of those three guys, you know, just not a ton of contributors in this game. And so, you know, it's just, it's tough. And we, again, you know, this game was close. We lost by five points. And this game came down to the wire. I mean, we were tied with East Carolina uh, with a minute 38 left at 57. Um, But, you know, as I previously mentioned, the second chance points just killed us. Uh, you look at that 138-minute mark. What did North East Carolina do after that? Missed a shot, got the rebound. Missed a shot, got the rebound. Made a three-pointer. Uh, so that sucks, you know, to give them not just one, but two second chances on that possession. Uh, and at that point, you're down by three. We don't make our shot. We end up having to get a couple rebounds, but end up turning it over. You know, just the nail in the coffin for the for the game that it had been uh, forced to foul, you know, in East Carolina is going to make both of those shots win the game. So just a tough, tough loss. Uh, but again, you know, as rough as maybe it was in this game, still had a chance to win it at the end. And so, you know, I think there is something to be said about we are still a very young team. And like these kind of games, you know, eventually I think they're going to break our way. Um, You know, eventually we're going to be the one with the ball in our hands for the last shot. And I think we'll start to see some of these. Unfortunately, uh, you know, the last game that we're going to talk about against Charlotte was not quite as close. Uh, Charlotte ends up winning that one by eight with by a score of 84 to 76. And man, in the first half, again, just 
did not look like it was going to be as close as it was. Charlotte took a 42 to 25 point lead into halftime. And while we once again had a really strong second half, we put up 51 points. It just was not enough. Uh, Charlotte, again, put up another 42 points. So this game, I was saying the East Carolina one was uh, a low fouling affair. Well, that's specifically in relation to this one. This game was chippy. Um, There were, I think, a total of 26 free throws, free throw attempts per side. Uh, I don't know what it is. And, you know, like maybe just address the elephant in the room. You know, there's a fight against Charlotte uh, for the second year in a row, which I don't 100% understand because the team that got in a fight with Charlotte last year is a completely new team. Like last year was Sterling Gaston Chapman, who is not on the team. There are only two guys who are still on the team last year. And so why is there bad blood between Tulsa and Charlotte? It's just kind of weird. Um, it doesn't really make sense to me. But that being said, you know, chippy game, 22 fouls on our side, 21 on Charlotte's. So, you know, that didn't change the game um, necessarily. We were 19 of 26. They were 21 of 26. But, you know, they just shot better. They played faster. And they just, you know, the Charlotte team is not, the Charlotte team is is a good team. Obviously, they're coming fresh off of their win over Florida Atlantic. I mean, their losses this year, their worst losses to Stetson, who's 206. But their other losses are to like SMU, Duke, Richmond, UCF, Liberty, Davidson. These are all top 140 Ken Palm teams. And now they've got the win over Florida Atlantic. They had a win over George Mason. Yeah, so this is a solid Charlotte team, not a bad loss for Tulsa, especially on the road. But that's just kind of, you know, the main thing that I really want to address and kind of talk about here at the end is, you know, overall thoughts on conference so far is Tulsa has done really nothing to show us that they're going to be a good road team this year. We've lost every road game, uh, including two of two to start conference play um, and I 17 straight now like it has been 17 straight games since our last road win I'm going to I'm looking at Ken Palm right now oh you've got to go back to February 19th of 2022 against South Florida and we probably don't have a chance until maybe against Rice at the end of this month Uh, And if we don't get that one, I mean, like, our away schedule is not going to be easy until late February. So, but this team just looks absolutely different playing on the road, playing at home. I chalk a lot of that up to being, like, one of the youngest teams in the country. I think we are, in terms of age, like, 298th overall. Um, You know, there's 343, 362. I don't know why. I, I still, I'm stuck on the 343. Right, Ryan and I have talked about this. I always make that guess. But yeah, so 298 out of 362. So definitely in the lower third. Um, you know, and that's going to be something that we're just going to have to work on. Uh, who didn't look 
any different on the road and hasn't looked any different on the road, again, P.J. Haggerty. P.J. Haggerty finished this Charlotte game 28 points, 12 of 15 from the line, 8 of 14 otherwise. You know, a couple rebounds, assists, two turnovers. And again, Kobe Williams. You know, I was saying that maybe we're starting to see him pick up and become more of that playmaker and that senior presence. First against East Carolina, now against Charlotte. Charlotte, he had 18 points again. Um, Four or five. He had 18 points in back-to-back games. Two for four from the three-point line, made all of his free throws, five assists, and only turnover. Two turnovers. So, you know, is this kind of the turnaround that we're wanting to see from Kobe Williams? I hope so. I think we need that, uh, especially if we're going to compete this month. This month's schedule is kind of brutal. Um, You know, we've already played Memphis and Charlotte, but we still have Tulane coming up. We have SMU later this month. Um, And then, you know, conference play doesn't get much easier overall. You know, you get a couple of, quote, easy wins, or I'm not going to say easy wins, but easier matchups against Rice and UTSA. But we got on the horizon next month, FAU, North Texas, who have both looked pretty good so far. And so to have Kobe Williams, you know, be more consistent in conference play would be awesome because maybe we didn't need him as much in non-conference, but we definitely are going to need him going forward. So, yeah, as far as other performances on the team, uh, you got Matt Reed. Matt Reed put up 10 points uh, on 20 minutes. Jared Garcia, 9 points on 22. Uh, The other starters, Isaiah Barnes, downer of a game, played pretty poorly offensively. Uh, had an overall offensive rating of 63, which was the lowest um, for anybody over 20 minutes. Um, Carlos Williams, pretty solid performance. Didn't Wasn't flashy, didn't put up a lot of points, made a single three. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we just kind of got handled by a Charlotte team that was just firing on all cylinders eat early and then just was able to coast a little bit in the second half. So in terms of where we stand now, so we are now 0-3 in American athletic play. And since conference started, the Tulsa team has been looked a little different. Uh, Obviously you are seeing a massive improvement uh, in terms of strength of schedule in these last three games compared to all of our non-conference games. And so it's to be expected to see a little bit of dip in performance. Like you're not going to play as well against your Memphis, your East Carolina, your Charlotte as you had as you did against Incarnate Word, Jackson State, South Carolina State, etc. Um, you know, so we have dipped offensively uh, a little bit. Our effective field goal percentage slightly better because we're making a couple more threes percentage wise, uh, but we're turning the ball over at a slightly higher rate. Our offensive rebounding has looked worse. We haven't been getting to the line as much. Obviously, this is a three-game sample size, um, so it's not the be-all, end-all. But these last three games have just—we have not played our best. And you know, at the end of the day, that's probably what it comes down to. And you know, these close games, these three-point games, these five-point games—you make a couple mistakes here and there, and you're just that—that's the difference of the game. Um, the non-steal turnover percentage still really bad. Uh, surprisingly, not worst in the league. Yeah, it is 13th in the league, not 14th. Wichita State, surprisingly, 
is even worse uh, than we are when it comes to turnovers. So Wichita State has had a rough stretch recently, but there's good, I mean, losses to K-State, Kansas, North, Te- North Texas, and Temple. So, yeah, I mean, it, it feels like beating a dead horse at this point, but, you know, Tulsa's success this season is going to come down to just cutting back those turnovers. I mean, our non-steal turnover percentage overall, 10.4%, 345 in Ken Palm, which is higher than what I believed the number of teams were, you know, like just five minutes ago. Uh, But obviously, you know, the bottom, bottom, bottom of the basketball world in terms of just giving the ball away. And so, you know, we can't do that. You take out half our turnovers in some of these games, and we win them. I think we beat East Carolina. I think we have a chance to beat Memphis. Uh, so we just, you know, we play aggressively, but we need to just be better about holding on to the ball and not giving away points, giving away opportunities. Because uh, these teams, you know, other teams maybe earlier in the season weren't going to take advantage of it. Memphis took advantage of it. East Carolina took advantage of it. Uh, Charlotte. I didn't talk about their second chance points. 17 to our nine. Charlotte took advantage of it. These teams are good and they're going to make us pay for making those kind of mental errors. So, uh, other than that, you know, there's not a ton else to say. Uh, I also feel, you know, like I'm kind of missing token right now because I feel like he also, he always has way more to talk about for basketball. Um, so Ryan, hope you're feeling better soon. Uh, but yeah, So what's coming up next for Tulsa? Well, our next game is on Sunday at home, 2 p.m. Central against Tulane Green Wave. Tulane, 10 and 5 overall, currently 106 in Ken Palm. Uh, Head coach, Ron Hunter, this is his fifth season there, and he has uh, just, you know, Temple has looked better every year that he's been there. Um, And they're just freshly coming off of a loss to FAU, um, kind of a heartbreaking fashion. I don't know if anybody else watched it. I know Ryan and I did, but Tulane was up in this game, 84 to 83. Florida Atlantic had the ball, last possession, took the shot, missed it, but a foul was called from behind the three-point arc. FAU made the first one, missed the second one as the, the student section actually like ran from their section to go behind the basket, um, caused their shooter to miss their second shot, made the third one. FAU sneaks out of New Orleans with an 85-84 to 84 win. Uh, so kind of just a crushing, heartbreaking loss because that would have been their best win of the season. But Tulane does not have a bad loss. Like... They have five losses. The losses are to Bradley, Mississippi State, George Mason, North Texas, Florida Atlantic. All of those teams are top 100. Uh, So I guess you could say make a case for Bradley or George Mason, the 93rd team in Ken Palm and the 91st team in Ken Palm, being their worst losses. Uh, And their best win of the season is probably against Cal uh, at a neutral site game back in, you know, during the Thanksgiving season. So, a couple things about Tulane. Tulane is very old. They are probably they are the eighth 
overall teams in terms of D1 experience, 3.12 years. Uh, their starters have been around for a while. They have a single freshman on their team. Uh, four of their five starters are juniors or, high, or older, and Kobe King as uh, the lone sophomore. I mean, Kobe King is incredible. So, you know, there's definitely going to be a disparity between experience for this game, but we're at home where our youth and, you know, lack of experience is not as much of a factor as it is when we're on the road. Tulane is a very strong offensive team. They've only been held under 70 points twice this season. Their adjusted efficiency on offense is a top 50 offense in the country. They're one of the top 20 fastest teams in the country, just in terms of tempo. Uh, So this is probably going to be a very fast, high-scoring game, similar to the Memphis game. Uh, Memphis was number 22, Tulane number 18 in terms of tempo. Um, You know, the only thing that Tulane doesn't do is rebound on the offensive board. Um, But teams have had success against us, even if they're not very good at that. So, you know, whether that's a matter of Tulane just kind of doesn't bother with offensive rebounds or they're just not as strong, you know, there's still a chance that they will have a pick-me-up game against us. So that is kind of an area of focus. If if Tulane is going to get the ball, if they're going to miss their shots and we give them a second chance, they're probably not going to miss the next one. Their effective field goal percent, number eight in the country. Their turnover percent, one of the lowest in the country's. They make they get to the line a lot. Uh, their two-point percentage, points in the paint, number four overall in the country. And a big part of those points in the paint, the Sion James. Sion James is number 16 in the country for effective field goal percentage, 13 for true shooting percentage. Uh, he is just getting like 87 overall and two-point, 47th in the country in three-point. So this is not a guy who's only killing you in the paint, but he will kill you in the paint and then step back and hit a couple threes to put you away. So, you know, he's lower possession, only gets... But, I mean, all five of their starters averaging 10 points a game. Leader, Kevin Cross, he's got 18 points per game, 7.8 rebounds per game, like five assists per game. Uh, He is obviously their go-to guy. But, I mean, all of their starters... Kevin Cross, Jalen Forbes, Colin Holloway, Kobe King, Sion James. They are just loaded offensively, and any one of those guys at any moment on the court can just make you pay. Uh, So yeah, I think this is going to be a shootout. You look up, how do we match up against them? Well, our stronger point for, you know, the season so far is our defense kind of matches up better against their offense than our offense does against their defense. But you look at conference play, our defense has kind of slipped since then. And so, you know, there's the chance that Tulane can just kind of score at will against us. And we are still struggling offensively, uh, even more so since conference play has started. So if this is going to be a shootout, Tulsa is going to have to do their best to keep up. If you give up a big lead, it's going to be like Charlotte. You're going to stare a big deficit at halftime and have to bounce back in the second half, which, you know, we've proven that we can do. But if we just don't get in as much of a deficit in the first place, then, you know, we don't have to have a comeback only to lose at the last minute. So, again, that game is on Sunday, 2 o'clock Central on ESPN+. 
All right, I have talked a lot about the men's team. Let's switch over to the women's team. The women's team played four games uh, since our last episode. They're sitting now at 12-5 and five overall, 122 in the net, 105 in the Massey rankings. So, real quick, um, we had win over Memphis to start conference play, win over Tulane, and then back-to-back losses to Temple and to USF. So, real quick, yeah. Um, you know, Memphis is a team that we have battled with in the last couple of years. You know, this is, we finally are just on paper and I think on the court, the better team. And it showed in this first game, you know, we won 71, 62 Memphis, number 151. So, you know, not a bad Memphis team and to beat them on the road, as we've seen with the men's team, it's not easy to win road games, uh, in college basketball. And so anytime you do get those, that's huge. Followed that up with a dominating performance over Tulane. Tulane has kind of had our number in the last couple of years. Um, but no, we won 72-54 over the number 169 in the net Tulane Green Wave. But that brings us to the last two games uh, against Temple, who's 105 in the net, which is actually better than I thought. For some reason, I was under the impression that Temple was not as strong a team this year. Um we ended up losing that game 48-58, to and this was the first game uh, that I was able to get to after the holidays, and man, it was brutal. You know, it started off as a back-and-forth affair, uh, ended the first quarter 18-18. Tulsa took a dominating second quarter to kind of go into halftime with a 31-22 to lead. But, you know, as Tulsa has been a second-half team, Temple did the same to us putting up 36 points in the second half to our 17. Uh, what it really looked came down to, I mean, turnovers absolutely killed us. We had 20 overall turnovers. And then in the second half, we just could not shoot. Uh, I think we went one for 11 from behind the arc, as well as five for 25 overall. Uh, and there was a stretch of time in the fourth quarter, maybe six minutes, where we had zero shots, uh, not shots. There was a stretch of time in the fourth quarter, probably six minutes or so, where we just had zero points, uh, and Temple just pulled away. And so, you know, disappointing. Uh, definitely got absolutely hammered on the boards. Uh, Temple finished with 51 overall rebounds, almost an even split offensive def- to defensive. 24 offensive rebounds, 27 defensive. Compare that to our 36 total rebounds, um, and you look at that. I mean, Temple killed us on second chance points. They killed us on fast break points. They killed. They beat us on points off of turnovers. So we just did not do anything to help ourselves win this game in the back half. Um, and you know, it was not a great game for our starters. Tamira Poindexter. You know, she had 15 points. But she did not shoot the ball very well outside of the line. Three of 16 overall, one of six from the three-point line, four turnovers, just not a great game. Um, And that's kind of across the board. You had Tamira Poindexter with 15, Delaney Crawford with 12. Um, She had a much cleaner game, only one turnover, a couple steals. She looked really, I mean, she's just a great defender up front. But we just could not capitalize on our steals uh, we finished with eight of them and just could not finish, like get points out of that. So definitely a tough, tough loss. Um, 
think that there is definitely a case to be made like we should have won this game. Follow that up with our next game against South Florida. Uh, yeah, this was definitely a setback of a loss. We lost 52-68 to 68 to number 109, South Florida on the road. I believe this is like one of South Florida's lower net rankings in the years that we've played them. Uh, South Florida, you know, ever since UConn has left, has kind of been the top team in the conference. Um, and so, you know, there's a couple of years where we've had their number or we put, there's a couple of years where we kind of put them on the rope. This was not one of those games. Uh, they kind of stormed out in the first quarter, put a show they stormed out in the first quarter, put up 24 points, uh, and then, you know, we bounced back a little bit in the second, made it a six-point game at halftime. Uh, but after that, South Florida just kind of slowly started chipping away, um, putting us down. So in terms of top performers for South Florida, I mean, it was the Delaney Crawford show. She was 8 of 16 overall, 4 of 10 from 3. 26 points, again, two steals, zero turnovers. I mean, she's not one to give the ball. She's one to steal the ball, not the one to get the ball stolen from. Uh, Tamira Poindexter, though, only 10 points, eight turnovers, four of 17, oh, oh and eight for three point. And I mean, that right there, I think, is the absolute biggest reason why Tulsa is on a two-game losing streak. Tamara Pointexter has probably played the two worst games of her career back-to-back. And so we need her to be on to be... I mean, she is is our best player. And so when she is on, she is lights out and just absolutely killing these teams. But when she is off like she was for these last two games, it is just night and day in terms of like what these games are looking like. And so just need her to bounce back. Fully believe that she will. I mean, I think a two-game sample size is you look at the rest of her body of history and, like, she will bounce back. I think these are just a blip in her overall career performance. Um, But, you know, terrible time for it to happen. Um, With these two games, we could have, I think Tulsa had a chance to solidify us as a conference contender and we still do it's early we're only there's only been four conference games we're two and two there's still a chance for us to win a lot of these games and put ourselves up there as a top four seed come conference tournament time so we just need you know Tamara to get back to her uh great game self and then I think we'll be there So women's team, what's up next for them? Well, their next game, perfect opportunity for a bounce back. They're playing Florida Atlantic on the road on Saturday. That is tomorrow, uh, 1 o'clock Central on ESPN+. Florida Atlantic, unlike their men's team, um, not amazing. They're 257 in the net. Uh, They're coming off of a five-game losing streak dating back to mid-December. And overall, they are... 5-10, 5-10, 13th in the American. So, you know, this is a good bounce-back game for everybody. You know, a get-right game. Because you look after that, what's our schedule look like after Florida Atlantic? Well, Wichita State, Rice, Charlotte, East Carolina. These are all teams that I think are going to be making some noise um, 
down the stretch. So perfect opportunity. We get a week off after that, um, you know, because we've been on the road for two straight at this point. And I, I think that's the perfect reset for this team. Play a good game against Florida Atlantic. I imagine I'm, you know, at this point, just in terms of the net disparity um, and the record disparity and all that, it's nice to say, like, I feel confident we're going to win. You know, some of these games, you can't say that, like Temple, South Florida. Um, you know, these closer games would love to be at that point. But, you know, these those are competitive games. But here, feel good about getting the win. Perfect reset. Take a week off. Come back. And let's just kill Wichita State, Rice, Charlotte in the week after that. All right. Um, last couple, two last things to talk about basketball news overall. Uh, I should have done this during the men's portion. Uh, but just PJ Haggerty was named the freshman AAC player of the week again. I think it's the fifth time he's been named so this season. Um, and again, you know, he has just been the heart and soul of this team, uh, especially as Kobe Williams has not looked like what we expected to, although, you know, that might be changing here in, in the future. But PJ Haggerty, you know, I already talked about it. I don't want to talk about, you know, being worried. We talk about it with Tyshawn Archie, all the young guys about like, oh, are we going to lose them to the portal? I don't care. I don't want to talk about that. I think PJ Haggerty likes it in Tulsa. I think he seems like the guy who wants to be the guy. And he absolutely will be the guy if he stays in Tulsa. Uh, Dude is awesome. And, you know, just love watching him play. He makes improbable shots look easy. He is in the gym after a loss taking shots like the work ethic just the absolute intensity that he plays with love to see it love pj haggerty uh and the other news is just keiston willis you know he's played the one game this season uh one full game and then went back out for injury and there's a lot of speculation on you know is he going to come back but uh the answer to that is not this season he announced that he was going to take a medical redshirt year and come back next year healthy, uh, help us make a run, which I think is great. You know, we were potentially going to lose Kobe Williams and Keiston Willis after this season, as both of them are seniors. And now we get to keep Keiston Willis, which I think will just make our young core that much better next year. So really exciting time. Um, you know, basketball, as much as these last three losses have hurt, for the men and the two for the women. I think this is an absolutely exciting time to be a Tulsa basketball fan. Like you just look at last year for the men. Obviously this team is way different. We are in a lot of these games. We make them at least exciting. Um, if, if not super frustrating at times and the women's team, you know, they can be dominant. They can be competitive. And I think they have a, a real shot to, you know, make a run in the American uh, at some point, you know, this down the stretch this year. All right. That's everything from me. Uh, this is kind of a, maybe a little bit longer of an episode than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I don't remember exactly what Ryan always says here, but if you like the podcast, uh, and would love to support us, you know, the best thing you can do, leave us a review. Uh, those reviews help us get higher on, you know, the search feed or come up. If you search Tulsa, wherever you find podcasts, um, yeah, like us on X. We have an email. 
if you want to send us an email, uh, goldenhurricast at gmail.com, as well as, you know, we've got swag. You can buy some swag. You can donate uh, donate to us. Uh, we just had a very generous donor give us some money to renew our Ken Pump subscription, which, you know, that's awesome to be able to uh, do that for you guys. Love it. And we are here for it. So with that, we will talk to you next week. Stay golden.